With a focus on innovation, disruption, and digital transformation, the Startup or Startover podcast aims to provide insights, tools, and resources for every level of employee to help in reinventing the enterprise. Now, here's your host, Andrew Krausick. Hey, everybody. This is Andrew from the Startup or Startover podcast. And today I have uh, Franco Patano, who is a senior solutions architect from Databricks. And we're going to be talking a lot about data in an enterprise, data that the enterprise may have that they don't know they have, untapped data, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, historically, in the last few years, you've heard probably a lot of people talk about data is, is, is the new oil, uh, you know, when you're talking about the digital economy. And just like raw oil, you know, raw data isn't valuable in and of itself, but rather the value is created when it's processed and refined. Um, so when we're talking about large corporations, you know, at least in the past and when I've been involved in, in, in uh, you know, the companies that I've worked with, more often than not, they're sitting on tons of data, you know, from their business processes, uh, you know, just do, from just doing business for, for many years. And the data is just there. It's untapped. It's unrealized. And when you're thinking about digital innovation and competing against your competitors or, you know, startups that might be trying to kind of disrupt in, in your in your industry, that data is often something that if you can leverage correctly is an advantage, you know, for you in, in that innovation uh, space. So, again, uh, I'd like to welcome Franco to the to the podcast. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me today. Yeah. Hey, so I, I do appreciate it uh, for you taking your time out of your busy day. Uh, could you just give me, you know, kind of a little bit of overview, you know, talk about yourself, how, do, you know, who are you, how, how did you get where you are and, you know, what do you do on a day-to-day basis? Sure. Um, so my background is I've spent over 10 years in the enterprise space, kind of in various industries, uh, doing data management, data warehousing, business intelligence uh, and analytics in various forms and different sizes, uh, and just trying to help organizations figure out you know, how to get value out of their data um, using various different types of tool sets. And uh, eventually I kind of experienced uh, you know, an awesome platform with Databricks and I kind of joined them. Uh, and now I get to meet with more organizations. So um, I'm just out there in the field uh, every day, kind of working with people and with problems and trying to help them figure out how to solve their problems efficiently. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, and and just for everyone to know, like, as I I did work with Franco, uh, you know, (laughs) at at the company that I'm at now, and and he left to go to Databricks. So I've had a great working working relation with him, a relationship with him over the past few years. Um, So that's how, how we know each other. And um, yeah, I mean, I totally get what you're saying. And And I think it's cool though, you know, because there is so much emphasis and, you know, everyone's kind of talking about now, right? This, this data, this whole idea that we're, that we're just kind of bringing up here. Um, you know, I guess in, in your, in your 10 years of experience or more, when you, when you go into a company, it's like, what do companies not realize, you know, generally about the data that they already have? Well, first, I, I mean, do they even know what they have, but like when they, when they kind of take a look at it, the big picture of what data that they might have, what do they like, just not potentially get right out of the box or out of the gate that's there of value. Yeah. So kind of how we started this, the subject is like data, data is the new oil. Right. But I think uh, to kind of clarify what that mean, it, you know, oil, like once it's refined and consumed, it's kind of done its end of life Mm -hmm. Uh, with data. That's not the case. It's not a finite resource. When people say it's oil, it's more like a raw ingredient. It's got to be pipeline refined packaged for consumption. So what happens is, is that organizations just have this data. And a lot of times what they did with the data, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, depending upon, you know, how old the organization is and, and how long they've been kind of managing data, they might've done like data warehousing and then do some reports. And they, they thought that this is what we can do with our data. And so a lot of times what, the, where, what companies don't realize that they have is they have this raw data still, just probably sitting out there. Sometimes after it was probably processed into the warehouse, it maybe went to backups and it's probably on tape. Mm-hmm. So you have like this raw detail level d- data that is just sitting there somewhere 
that you could be using, but because like you managed the data at some point previously, and you know you, you chose like data warehousing as the paradigm or some however you manage the data, you kind of have put that data in cold storage, right? And it's kind of just sitting out there. So I would say what companies don't realize they have is this treasure trove of data that's just sitting out there in some cold storage mechanism because they thought that it was no longer needed, right? We, 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 we warehouse the data. So now it's in our warehouse. Why do we need raw anymore? Yeah. But they forget one big thing, that through the warehousing process, not all of the data was included. So not every single piece of information that was in raw makes it through to the warehouse. It's, it's not impossible. What, what ends up happening is like, when you're going through the warehousing phase, your data modelers, you know, you kind of interview the business and identify use cases that what do they want to do with this data. And they might have a couple of things, right? And they model it out and they produce the warehouse and that's it. But there's like 80% of the data that was never processed. So I think that's what it is, is that they don't realize that they have all this raw data sitting out there on cold unused storage that they could be using. Yeah, and, and, and I totally get what you're saying because, you know, often in any of the projects I've been involved with, like related to data warehousing, you're always like stripping out, you know, the detail, <laughs> right? You're summarizing, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're snapshotting things at a higher level, um, you know, because that's what the business generally is, is asking to see. You know, I don't care about the detail around this. What is the summary? What is, what are, you know, what are these pieces? And a lot of instances, like you're saying, um, you know, some of the value can be had in that more granular detail that you, that you have. Now, that's an interesting thing. Cause I do, uh, you know, in both last companies that I, that I've been at, right. You know, things go into iron mountain, right. Tape storage somewhere and mm-hmm. <laughs> locked up and mm-hmm. iced on ice. Um, d- have you been involved in any scenarios where people actually are trying to go back and, and get that data out of there and, and restore it in a way and put it onto a more modern platform to, to, to start to get access at it. I mean, you know, I'm just thinking about that as in the context that we're just talking about, um, you know, I've, you know, Oh, no, you need to restore something because there was you know, some problem. Um, but not like, Hey, let's get all of it. Right. Uh, that's kind of an mm-hmm. interesting, uh, yeah. Uh, I think so what, what happens here is that like data warehousing is pre-computed aggregates. It's kind of yeah. back in the day, compute and storage was expensive. So you couldn't use all of the raw data. You know, we have to prune out what you need and then we have to overnight pre-compute the aggregate so that in the daytime when the analysts and business partners were there querying the data, they got good performance on on their reports and and whatnot. So uh, oftentimes, you know, businesses change. I think one of the major things to, to think about, to understand here is that what you did last year as a business, 30 years ago, wouldn't change very much from year to year, right? The rate of change of business wasn't happening as fast as it's happening today. In 10 years today, you have Uber taking out taxi companies and taxi companies just don't even realize how to react to it because all of their reports were based on their business model from that's been the same business model for 30 years, yeah, right? Yeah. And this, you've seen this industry over industry over industry, these new startups come, come out and they, they are leveraging data. All of the startups coming out of Silicon Valley and, and, and elsewhere, they're all leveraging all of their data, right? And a lot of these older kind of organizations who've been doing things for a really, really long time, they might, have, they might still have their modeling techniques. So their data warehouse models are all based on their business model from 30 years ago. It's completely different than what it is today. And that that's the big pivot here is that you need to access that raw data because you need to remodel how your business model is working because it's not what it was 30, 40 years ago. So that's kind of the big pivot that most leaders need to think about is that you're not doing your business the same way you were doing it 20 years ago. And if you are, you need to change because yeah. you're at high risk of kind of being taken out by a startup, right? Any, any two guys in a garage, right, can come to people. I apologize. I'm not trying to be uh, <laughs> two, two humans. Is, is two two humans. humans. Does that work? I don't know. <laughs> two, three, two, three humans in a garage can just come up with a great idea and take you out. Right. Like that, cause they're using all of their data um, to kind of make those decisions. And they're constantly 
tweaking their models. And data, the data warehousing paradigm is really difficult to keep up with this because it wasn't meant for that rate of change sure. to the actual modeling techniques, you know? So I think that's the big, the big thing, right? It's your ability to adapt your modeling paradigms to the rate of change in which business is changing. That, that totally makes sense. Right. And, and, and you're right. I mean, the, the, you know, the data velocity and, you know, just rate of change of things there, the technologies around it, the tooling, the, the, all that stuff. Um, and yeah, you're right. I mean, all the, the successful startups I, th I think I've seen recently, right. Or even last, you know, however many years have data at the forefront uncovering, you know, all of the, you know, this, the either, you know, the interrelated sort of things, uh, in, in the data or just leveraging that as a core piece of their platforms. Right. So, um, I guess if you said, you know, if I said, what are some of the common misconceptions that, uh, you know, enterprises might have when they're talking about value of data? I know you talked about the modding modeling methodology and, and having to remodel or think about that. Is there anything else? I mean, that you would, you would kind of say, you know, related to that? So one of the biggest misconceptions that I, I kind of have to face with uh, very frequently is that uh, the, the database is a panacea and that this one modeling methodology that we chose 5, 10, 20 years ago is the one to rule them all. Yeah. That's the biggest misconception is that you need one thing or that you need one, you need one kind of construct or you need one model. And that's just not true. I, it's, it's absolutely not true. The database is not the one to rule them all. The database was essentially a set of rules around compute and storage so that we could work around the limits of technology that were, that were there when we needed to manage data like 30, 40 years ago. It was a solution. It, it's not, it was a solution. It was not one solution to rule everything. And that's kind of what we're seeing nowadays is that what we need to do with our data is more than just tabular. Right, you'll have raw types of data that are that you need to process, like image or audio or video, um, that need to be refined. Right, that's raw data. You can't just put a SQL query against video data. Sure, it, it's yeah. not going to work. Yep. You need to you need to have your engineers kind of analyze what they want to do. Your business partners need to say, "I want you to analyze this video stream because I want to do a maintenance use case. Is this part going to fail? Right, and then can I know about it sooner?" so that I can replace it to minimize my downtime, right? That could end up saving you significant amounts of money. You can't do that with a database, right? You need other technologies wrapped around it. And you can't do that with one model, right? That one model for one use case is not the same model for another use case. You need a flexible layer to be able to manage all of this. And that's what data lakes were intended to be. Uh, unfortunately, 10 years ago, when data lakes first started making its way on the scene, they weren't mature enough for people to truly kind of make the pivot from databases. Uh, and I don't mean like transactional because mm -hmm. OLTP is OLTP and you did, no one was really kind of saying that you can't do, you can't, you can do OLTP on data lakes. It's just not the case now, maybe in 10, another 10 years, but for OLAP use cases, you definitely don't, you want flexibility, right? You do not want to be locked in. You do not want one thing to rule them all. You want your choices because you have all these different use cases and all these different things that you want to go after to help you manage your business. And you don't want to be locked into one kind of mode of thinking. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Even just, you know, talking about the day like thing, I think a whole nother, uh, you know, podcast episode could be about <laughs> data lakes versus data swamps. <laughs> or, oh or data, you know, whatever. Um, but that's mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, totally true. And, you know, so kind of talking around that, and you mentioned a few different things about video and audio and, and things like that. And, you know, a lot of, you know, at least the misconceptions I've seen even, you know, in some of this is somebody who just makes the assumptions like, hey, well, well, once we have all the raw data there, like, let's get it into a data lake or let's get it somewhere. And then all of a sudden, magically, like all these things are going to pop out, right? <laughs> like, like now there's all these uncovered things, like, you know, when, when obviously it's more than that, right? It's like, um, can you talk about like, I mean, like what are the questions people are trying to ask? Right. Like in, in my head, you know, if I thinking about it, it's like, okay, what kind of data do we have? Okay. You have data about this. You have data about that. We have all this transactional data from years and years and years of whatever, you know, on the business mm -hmm. side, if I was a business person working in one of those areas, I would say, okay, well, what potentially do we have? 
But then, you know, more importantly, it's like, what do I want to know? Like, you know, what am I trying to find out? Like there has to be some sort of, you know, education on that side on, you know, like, cause otherwise, right. It's like, it's not a magic thing that you just make. And then all of a sudden all the stuff comes out. Right. So I guess what's your, what's your thought on like, like uncovering the value of data? Like what, yeah. what is like the process there? What do people need to understand about that? Because it's not just, you know, like a magical thing, I guess. Absolutely. It's not, you know, and even if anyone tells you, if any, if any vendor comes to you and says, all you got to do is put all your data into this thing and it's going to solve all your problems, you should definitely question them uh, if they're providing no, no explanation to how that's going to be happening, right? Because it's not just technology. Technology alone is not going to solve the world's problems. It's people, right? People are, are the ones that that go out there and they're, they're, they're settled with problems and they need to solve them, right? Data is the fuel to fuel the solution, but you need to build a solution. And that's what a, where a, a good platform comes into play, right? A good platform will allow you to use open, it's an open kind of garden where you can bring in the tools, your users, so your engineers and your data science, so whoever they are, like data scientists, data engineers, um, wh whoever they are, right? They need to have a platform that's flexible enough so that they can speak the language that they need to speak with in order to do their work, right? So if you've got Python data anal analysts, so data engineers, they can use that language. If you've got your quants that know that like using R, right? Because they need their statistical packages, you definitely need to have uh, a platform where they can work, right? And if you have hardcore engineering that uses Scala, you need to be able for all of these different personalities to speak their own language with the data in order to build those solutions. So whatever platform you choose should enable these things. And then SQL, right? SQL is what I call like lingua franca. Everybody, if they manage data, right? They're gonna speak SQL. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, Python, R, all those people, they know SQL, right? Anyone can build a SQL statement. So your platform needs to do all these things. It can't just focus on one thing. And the primary like goal to, to the data. So your platform needs to house all of your data, wherever it's coming, whatever format it's in. And then it needs to be structured in a way where it's slowly cleaning up that data, not slowly, but it's cleaning up that data and making it ready for consumption. So that when your business comes in and they say, I need to solve this problem, they basically work with uh, their team, right? And so they'll have a data engineer and a data scientist and a business user. Business user brings the problem, right? And they'll usually have a data analyst with them and they go to the, the engineers and the scientists and they're like, all right, this is what we wanna solve. The platform needs to allow these people to work together, to look at their data, to play with the data where it sits on the, on the data lake and to mold something that delivers what they're trying to solve for. Right, using whatever languages that they need. This is how you build solutions, right? It's not just data, it's not just the platform, it's every it's the people and it's this it's the tools that they can use to use your data to solve the problems that your business has. But it's not just one person or one thing that solves it. It's all of these people unified coming together and working on the problem at the same time. And that's kind of how how you can unlock and make sense of your data. You have to you have to have a platform that brings all these things together and it gets out, it removes blockers from those people's way yeah. of getting, for them being able to get their job done. Yeah. Now, um, I don't know if, and I've, I don't know if I can ask you this, but like in your role at Databricks, I mean, are there any, you know, either in anecdotal, if so not naming any specific, you know, clients or anything like that, Mm -hmm. um, but, but, but a real example of, of something where, you know, you kind of went in, you know, you know, to help, you know, solve for one of these sorts of things or help, you know, guide the, you know, their data teams or their engineering teams, you using the, a platform, right. Such as Databricks, like, can you talk a little bit potentially about, uh, you know, like something that actually had a real value in, in the process that you guys went through for that? Yeah. So a lot of what I'm doing nowadays is cleaning up data swamps. Okay. <laughs> Going back to the swamp. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really a lot of what I'm doing today. Uh, and essentially it's, it's the same kind of pattern over and over and over again. I don't have to name specifics because a lot of times it's the same 
core things that I'm doing. Yeah, and that's what I'm kind of alluding to. It's like a common, you know, what's what's the common, uh, you know, denominator in all these scenarios, right? Yeah. Some of the big things, right, is the small file problem. Uh, In on-prem, it was a performance problem. In the cloud, the the thing that, that is the big difference here and the thing that I deal with almost every single day is on-prem to cloud migrations, Yeah. right? It's like, it's the new thing. Everyone's doing it. It's 2020. The future is here. You need to be in the cloud, right? And what ends up happening 90% of the time is that all of these anti-patterns for 20 years that are inside these data warehouses or data management systems basically get lifted and shifted into the cloud. And all of a sudden it costs eight times as much eight times as much as what it would have cost for one year on-prem. Yeah. And it's got everybody rethinking this cloud migration strategy that they should be doing, right? So, and I kind of led with the, a lot of, uh, you know, it, specific parts here. And specifically, it's these anti-patterns, right? And the, the reason why they, they rear their ugly head is because on-prem, you own the hardware and you own the network. You are not paying per compute cycle. You are not paying per packet switch, per packet sent over the network. In the cloud, you pay infrastructure over time, right? You might be able to get discounts on top of that. But when you boil it all down, the formula is I'm going to pay for this infrastructure for this period of time, right? So now you're paying per packet. You're paying per compute cycle. And all of a sudden, you know, what I like to say is, Couple like my favorite data data warehouse architects back in the day, and we know one of my favorites um, are the super efficient ones. But a lot oftentimes these are the unsung heroes of on-prem data warehouses. Sure. Because the the other guy right doesn't care about efficiency, and he's just going to get the job done. Doesn't matter if it's you maxing out the CPUs on the server. Doesn't matter if he's flooding the network. Right. He got the job done on-prem. You can't tell, right? It's behind the, it's behind the scenes. Yeah. You can't really, you're not really feeling the pain. All of a sudden you lift and shift that architecture into the cloud. And now it's gen- and now it's it's kind of consuming eight times what you thought it would have or, or what it was doing on-prem. So I essentially what I'm doing is untangling a lot of these anti-patterns and putting in uh, more successful cloud-based patterns to make these things run more efficiently. And then what ends up happening is we also, we, we make what they have today backwards compatible in the cloud. So everything that they're doing today, they essentially wired up in the cloud. So that's backward compatible to what they're using. But then it unlocks all these new use cases where they're like, well, we want to start, we're, we're collecting all this IoT data, right? But we're not actually doing anything with it. And it's like, okay, well, let's wire that up. And then we're collecting all this image data for, for from something, you know, maybe it's sensors or, uh, their CCTV uh, feeds, whatever it is, we're collecting it. It's just sitting there. Well, let's put it to use. Um, so th- those are some of the common things. I'll give you one anecdote. It's very specific of, of, of kind of a common thing that I, I get brought in to do. Um, everything that you can do on Databricks is open source. Spark is open source. Delta is open source. MLflow is open source. I can keep going. But all of this stuff is open source. So you can that technically DIY and mm-hmm. people do this. There's actually, you can get containers that have, uh, you know, all of the, most of the stuff kind of pre, pre-configured. Um, so why, why would you use Databricks, um, right? And the thing is, is that there's a whole lot of complexity between all of these open source projects and all of the other open source projects that you'll need in order to get all this stuff running in the cloud. And what ends up happening is that your small team of engineers, right, are are basically learning on the fly because they are, are maybe they're not totally experienced in the, in this realm, um, so they're trying to figure it out on on their own. Maybe they get some expertise, but essentially what ends up happening is that you know they'll use something like DIY and or they'll uh, they'll use like a, an EMR or what's the other one, uh, HDI or Dataproc, whatever is like the cloud native that says they've got Spark in it, they'll be yeah. like, oh, I'll just use it. It's got Spark, right? It's like sure. the same thing. Absolutely not. It's not the same thing. <laughs> it's absolutely not the same thing. Um, I, I come in and I'm like, all right, let's wire this up. And um, essentially, n- numerous times now this has happened when we, re- we physically reduce the amount of code, I would say like 30 to 40% because 
you know, in open source, you're giving you're given every single option possible. So you have to clarify every single command exactly what you're saying. You have to be extremely explicit. And this, being extremely explicit means that you have to write a lot of code. In Databricks, we try to simplify as much of this as possible, where you don't have to be super verbose with all of your commands. So a lot of times, uh, you know, when we do like proof points, POCs that are called uh, technical evaluations, whatever syntax you want to use, but essentially what it is is um, that you know we go through it, and oftentimes we produce the code significantly faster. So like I'll give you an example. I did a POC where we were doing like machine data and we were ETLing it into their data lake. And they had done this on the cloud native stuff. And it was running, it was a 24 seven process where it was running all day long every day. And it took, I think four hours end to end for it to process one batch of data, right? And I think this was using like MapReduce or something. I didn't get to see the original architecture, but essentially with, with and it took like a team of engineers to develop this whole thing um, on this cloud specific uh, pattern. Um, we were able to rewrite it uh, using significantly less code with one engineer in less than two weeks. Yeah. So that so it's a couple things, right? Sure. I didn't even touch on performance or reliability yet. I'm just talking about engineering right now, right? So to engineer, actually just to build the thing, it's, it's more simpler, right? But now let's talk about performance. So it's the cloud, right? So what, what does performance really matter? Obviously to like your end users performance will matter, but like, does it really matter? It absolutely matters. Cause remember we're playing, we're paying infrastructure over time. If I can boot just slightly more expensive infrastructure but it completes in half the time, it's cheaper. Sure. So I could, I could solve for price performance. And this is one of the main things that I'm out there uh, helping uh, you know, organizations understand is that uh, Databricks helps you optimize your price performance in the cloud for your, for your data management strategy. And essentially this is what it all boils down to is that we wanna make sure you're efficiently using cloud resources so that you, know, you can move all this data and you're not having to pay eight times the cost in the cloud yeah. that it was on-prem. Yeah. And reliability, Talk about, let's touch on that for a second. So a lot of times these pipelines you know, they're most, if it's streaming, it's running 24 seven. If it's bat, if it's micro batch or batch is probably running every hour or every day or something like that. And what oftentimes happened, if you were doing this ETL in the, the data lake, even if you were preparing data for the warehouse and you were using it as like a raw staging zone, right? And then it's going to the warehouse, you're gonna be doing ETL. Oftentimes, if you're just using Spark in the middle of the job, if it fails, you're gonna to have to figure out all where all the pieces are and pick them up and then reconstruct everything. And it's a real hassle. So production, like open source Spark jobs are tend to be very verbose and it's really hard to recover them if they fail. With, Del with Databricks and Delta Lake, these things are significantly simpler to manage from a failure because of the transaction you built with inside of Data Lake. Essentially it's got asset transactions built on the table level. So if a commit doesn't actually commit because something happened, it doesn't actually commit to, to the table. So the data, the actual, the, the actual like partial parquet files will still be in there until the next vacuum is called, but it's not going to affect your consumers. So your users won't actually get affected by bad data making its way or bad transactions, right? The mm -hmm. users won't even tell because yep. they're, the transaction log will just have the, the correct pieces. So this is kind of where, where we help, right? And how a good data platform, you know, and even not just talking about Databricks here, but a good data platform should have those components. It should be simple to implement. It should be performant in the cloud to save, to, to analyze peak price performance, right? You obviously, if you want to pay more to get better performance, you can absolutely do that. But, you know, we like to say, we like to stay close to the price performance curve uh, so that you're getting the best, uh, you know, you're getting the best bang for your buck, essentially. And then reliability. Your platform should be reliable enough to where if, a mis if something bad happens, you should be able to easily recover from it. Yeah. So, so all of that totally makes sense. Right. And, and, and like the next question that was on my list is kind of, you know, you, you could use all of what you just said to kind of back that up. And it was more around, like, you know, not necessarily is, you know, a Databricks itself or whatever, like you're saying, it could be any kind of platform, you know, that, but that, that, um, 
you know, the importance of the technology platform itself to unlocking and making sense of that data, you know, there's tons of different facets in it, right? And obviously there's, you know, all of the things that you were talking about there and some of those are technical, some of them are, you know, uh, you know, just holistically from a enterprise running perspective. Like, what do you, what would you say then? Because I, I know you talked a little earlier about, you know, choice of languages and ability for, you know, anybody to be able to be, you know, productive. So, you know, tying that all back together, um, you know, with the people, like, what do you think, you know, uh, is there anything additional that you would add, like any other important, you know, <laughs> check marks and things like that um, to, to, to tie back the technology with the people to solve the problems? So what's really important to, to the execution of these patterns, right? I think that's what you're talking about, yes. right? Here's the yes. technology, here are the things, but how do you execute? What, what are the, what's the secret sauce to actually executing all of these things, right? Um, and I, I talked to somebody about this, uh, last year when we were still doing things in person, um, I was, they were like, do I, do I need the smartest, do I need to hire the smartest technical people to help me build this out? And I was like, no, if I were you, I would actually focus on finding the best modern business people. So slight more technically savvy business folks who understand your business, who can slice and dice and understand how your business operates so that when you, when you give them a problem, they're able to understand all facets of the organization. Okay, here's my problem. What departments touch this problem? This department, this department, this, okay, what data do I have? And they can parse out how all these things fit together in, in like a, from a business modeling perspective, right? And this is not a technical problem. This is a, a business management problem. And usually, uh, business analysts are the key folks who I, who I would tap for this because they have the perfect blend of business acumen and technical expertise. But you don't have to be. You can be like uh, a technical savvy business person. Like you, you've got an MBA and you're, you know, you're doing different things. Maybe you have, uh, you're, you're, you're doing di digital strategy implementations, right? Um, something like that. But I would actually focus. It's more. You can have good technical people, right? Good technical people are always keen, but to really execute, I think the the one of the major pieces that a lot of uh, organizations kind of skip over when they're doing these types of evaluations or when they're executing is having the the right business folks in the team, right? Because they're going to make sure that whatever your technical folks are building is actually going to be valuable, right? They're going to build their 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 kind of their their model right they'll, they'll most likely have like in a spreadsheet or something and they're going to have their business value model they're going to say they're going to look at it like all right i'm going to make this investment i'm going to spend x dollars over the next six months and i could potentially save the company n dollars over the next you know m number of years and okay the roi makes sense we're going to start going on down this path and we're going to make these investments right mm -hmm. that's the type of personality that you need you need someone who's going to understand the breadth of the whole process, who can articulate the business value to these solutions, and then can work with the technical folks to, to actually execute, implement them. I would think that, that that is actually one of the key things that stitches all this stuff together, right? Without that person, the technical folks can build amazing things, but the business just won't know what to do with them. Yeah. Yeah. No, you hit the, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I've seen that, um, you know, and it, it could be for anything, any, any technology kind of play, right. You know, it, it could be like, we're talking here, data it could be, you know, there's application development, all that stuff. Um, but the, I think it's really key exactly what you said, business minded tech savvy has an idea, can, can formulate, you know, like connect all these connections and how do, how do you make something actually of value emerge from this effort? Um, I think it's super important and yeah, I totally agree. Um, I'm on the same, well, not really the same, but switching gears a little bit, right? So now we assume we have a bunch of data. Uh, we assume we, you know, we have a platform in place that can, uh, you know, have all the facilities available to the technical people, the business people to, to, to uh, you know, ask the right questions to get value out of it. Now, obviously, you know, the big AI, ML, data scientists, you know, thing, you know, comes up, right? And that's all the buzzwords all over the place is, uh, you know, how can we use this this data to, you know, predict future things and all kinds of stuff. Like from your perspective, you know, in this whole 
topic that we're talking about. What are your thoughts on, you know, AI, ML, data science? How does that all come into play here? So most organizations that kind of are, that do this uh, over the past, like I would say 10 years is kind of this section of data management has been maturing, right? Uh, this is when, you know, more modern organizations, the, the every organization of the world has been dabbling with AI and ML, right? Uh, Silicon Valley has been doing it for a little bit longer, not that much longer, but essentially you now have this kind of proliferation of, of AI and ML. But how are most people using it? Right? I think that's kind of what you're asking. Like, is this, is it really a thing? Yeah. So yeah, it is actually. And what I normally see happening is that essentially your data science team, how, how I refer to this is that you've had data analysts and you have, you've had data engineers, whether you've called them data warehousing engineers, data architects, you've had these data workers that use explicit term, like explicit programming languages to build things with their data. They've written out, you know, huge case statements in SQL to kind of determine what's gonna happen with their data, right? And this is one thing that I hear very frequently is like, well, isn't AI and ML just a really large case statement? It's like, well, yeah, man, you know, if you if you want to write it out, sure, that's you know. But you need to, as a person, you need to physically think of every single possible way that this data is going to come in, right? And and write that all out. What AI and what ML does is essentially, at scale on large, huge data sets, is perform those same operations to build those logic that to build that logic to apply to your model so that you can get these answers faster. Essentially, yes. What AI and ML does it is at its core is kind of just structure, another layer of structure, another layer of dimensionality on top of your data where it can quickly, you know, at scale, think about thousands of machines in a, in a, in a, in a data center, right? In a cloud data center. You can essentially have an army of machines rip apart terabytes of data, build a model, and then you can use it in production, you know, the very next hour. That's the difference here between building it yourself, like manually with code, and having a machine do it, right? It, the machine is learning itself. So what do they need? They need an environment where they can use those tools, like we were talking about earlier, any of the programming languages, all of these open source technology already kind of stitched together working, right? A lot of times what I see in the field is that the data scientists, that an organization might have hired a data scientist, right? And now the data scientist has to manage their environment. They have to, they usually download Jupyter and it's installed on their desktop and they have to manage the data pipeline. So now they're doing ETL work because they're bringing the data into their, their laptop. And then they, they kind of are doing a bunch of experimentation, right? I need to kind of figure out what's going on here. And they have now all these models. And then they're like, I found this awesome thing. This is great. And they bring it to the business. And they're like, great. What can we do with it? How can we stitch it in? Mm -hmm. uh, meet with the DevOps team and figure out how to build this into the app or build this into our reporting. And then they're like, okay, great. And they bring this pickle file to DevOps and the DevOps engineer looks at them funny, like that's not a pickle. Uh, so, <laughs> right. So this, this kind of, this kind of, it, it, this, this is what happens nowadays. They're like, they, the, they didn't give the data scientists or the ML engineer the right tooling. They kind of just said, oh, you're going to figure it out, go figure it out. But a lot of times, they are like an expert in modeling techniques, like in actual data science. They're not an expert in ETL. They're not an expert in de DevOps, or because we we are actually calling this now um, ML ops. Uh, yeah. Some people call it ML ops. Sure. Yep. Essentially, you have to manage the life cycle and the operations of those machine learning models, right? Mm -hmm. um, so essentially, you, your system, however you want it to make it work, should remove the friction of that data science ex, uh, exploration, that, that kind of, that experimentation and, and production, right? And that's hard because of the cloud, right? The same environment that's on that user's laptop is not the same environment on a VM in the cloud. And so there've been different ways that uh, organizations have sliced and diced this. Uh, we kind of at Databricks uh, have an open source project called MLflow, which does this. But essentially, that's the main part here. If you're going, if you want to do this, don't just hire a data scientist and say, "Go, go get them, Tiger." 
Um, you actually <laughs> have to have the platform built around to take whatever that awesome data scientist is going to build and actually put that into production because they could be doing, again, they could be doing amazing things, but if that thing doesn't get to production, it, you're not going to get the business value out of it. Um, so that's kind of how I would, I would articulate that is that, yes, I do think that the every organization, you know, has struggled with this. Hadoop did not make this easy. Schema on read doesn't work well for, for ML, right? Because dirty data ruins models. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. kind of one of, this is one of the big things that, that Databricks kind of, uh, you know, we kind of took the lead and we said, you know what? You got to clean up the data lake. You can't do this without a clean data lake. You cannot do high scale, big data, ML and AI with dirty data. It's not going to work. Um, and that's kind of where um, Delta Lake came from. It's kind of this structured way to manage the data on your data lake and to feed it to your ML models so that you can get good results out of your models. So that's kind of how I think about data science and ML. It's now another use case that you, you're bolting onto your data platform and not, not just reporting, but now you can do uh, interesting things like build you know, elegant models at scale and then build them into your applications and your, your reporting mechanisms so they get smarter. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, again, I'm, everything that you're saying makes total sense. And in a lot of times, you know, I've seen situations where people come at it and, you know, again, this is like the buzzword bingo game. Right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, the CIO or somebody's on a, well, it used to be on a flight and they read a magazine, <laughs> probably like the CIO skies, you know, here's all the buzzwords you need to go back and talk about. Um, but you know, the business comes to, and it's like, Hey, yeah, the data science, Oh, we have machine learning. We have, you know, and, and the thing that even they don't even realize there is, you know, you can't do data science without what you're talking about, right. Having clean data, having a platform that you can actually, you know, operationalize, right, to turn it into something that can be in production, that can be surfaced in an application via, you know, APIs and do whatever the, you know, the AI models are doing and all of that stuff. Um, <clears throat> and that's, yeah, super important that that you, you don't necessarily can even start with that, right? You can't just start and say, yeah, we're just going to start doing ML models on stuff, right? <laughs> without, without all this kind of backstory of things that you need to put into place. Um, so totally makes sense. And and when you're kind of talking again, you know, like talking about data, we talked at the beginning, the untapped data under people's feet, you know, they don't know what they don't know. You know, what are some areas that, you know, a company or people in the company might not think about, right? Where they would have some data that's useful. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, you know, if they're, if your core domain is, you know, whatever, yeah, there's certain, certain data entities and things like that to, that you, you know, you have a lot of, you know, you know, granular historical data and processes that were kind of around them. But like, what are some of the things that people don't think about typically that may have some value? Logs. Logs has to be the, one of the main untapped resources out there. Some organizations take advantage of it. Some, some don't, but you have to think about this. Every single one of your applications, ha like it outputs logs. Mm -hmm. So if you're an organization that produced, that makes like an app, right? Or if you use applications internally in your organization, all of these things puts out logs, right? You saw the prevalence of, uh, what was that company's name? Splunk, yeah. right? Yeah. All of a sudden people were like, oh, wait a second, we actually, we need this data, right? And I think that that is kind of the, the major untapped resource that most organizations don't know because it is a big lens into human behavior, specifically the behavior within your organization. So if you're looking to make optimizations or if you're looking to kind of understand where you can kind of derive value uh, out of your data platform, like out of your data, uh, that's kind of one of the premier sources that you can kind of go tapping into. Um, and then you can use like your big data and AI platform to kind of use machine learning models on top of all those logs to see if there's anything in there, right? We're gonna nuke the data sources. We're kind of gonna run them through some models. Let's see if we can find anything. Mm -hmm. And this is what I call, like, uh, I know I have an image here. We talked about if we can include images, I think it'll be included in the extra materials. But there's a, if you look at it like a box with a cross and it's like there's four sections. You have known knowns and you have, you have all the way from like known unknowns and unknown unknowns and known knowns, I'm sorry, unknown knowns. Essentially when you look at it, right? Your known knowns is reporting. That's what you do today. You know your data, you kind of get your knowns out, that's reporting. What 
you kind of, there's certain things that you know that you don't know. Um, and this is like, you know, you have text strings, right? Think of this like um, communication logs. So like uh, Slack or uh, communication tools where you have tons of text data, mm -hmm. you know, you don't know what's in all that data, but you know, you have it, it's sitting out there. You got a bunch of text logs that have all this information. You just, you don't know what's in there, but you know, it's there. Yeah. Um, you have unknown unknowns. This is where machine learning AI on, on top of big data, you have all this treasure trove of logs and you just have no idea what's sitting out there. You've got, you just don't know what you're going to, what you're going to find. It's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, gem mining or like, uh, what do they call it? Gold mining, right? You're, you don't, you just don't know. You're going to go into the, the cave and you're going to start ch chiseling away at the rock and you're going to see what you find. Um, and that's kind of how, how I look at, at things. It's like, you start tapping into these um, these resources of, of data that you have. And, and if they're in cold storage, we nuke them up when we kind of bring them into a cluster to kind of get faster operations. And then we run a bunch of models against them and see if there's any value in there. And if there is, great. We'll take what we found, we'll take our model, and then we'll put it in production. And then we'll, whatever use case that thing is serving, uh, we're now generating business value off of it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so, that, so that would be the, the big one is is usage logs. Usage logs, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, okay, Franco, that totally makes sense. And like I said, or like you said, uh, there'll be that quadrant. I'll, I'll put it in the resources on the website so you can, and uh, folks can take a look at that. Talking about like things like that, you know, what would you think are some good resources, you know, for folks on the ground, you know, people that are on some of these, uh, you know, project teams or, you know, data analysts or, you know, even in the business like that, uh, you know, want to be able to learn more about this, you know, educate themselves a little bit more in this whole space of untapped, you know, data and, and you know, things that we're talking about today. Like what are, what are your recommendations on how, how folks can kind of. Uh, you know, get up to speed and, and get engaged in this kind of discussion? Yeah. The one thing I like about kind of where 2020 and technology has brought us is that more and more people are producing content uh, to be consumed on the internet. And it can be in video form, like on YouTube, or it can be blogs, or even people are putting out eBooks now. Essentially, I don't really think this is a content problem anymore. I think yeah. it's more of a finding quality content problem now. Um, so, you know, obviously I'm biased, uh, that we got tons of Databricks content out there, but, you know, for, for specifically like, um, uh, meetups, uh, a lot of, you know, we have our, uh, meetup that we lead the data and AI meetup. We, we continually produce content of different things that we're finding, right? Um, like for myself, I've got uh, a little project that I'm kind of trying to start up as well, where I kind of have diff all these different personalities work together to kind of solve a problem. Um, and a lot of times that's where I think a lot of people learn and it's happened more and more, even frequently where like, someone's like, Hey, how do I do this? And it's like, Oh, here, why don't we just pop into meet real quick and let's do a screen share. Mm -hmm. And I've been seeing a lot more people learn. They're like, Oh, I didn't know you could do that. Oh, that was an interesting hack. I think a lot of people um, are learning from each other. And in this new world where, we're more apt to the virtual types of, of meetings, we're kind of forced into it. I'm seeing like that happen a lot more where we're learning more from each other. Now I would say, check out, if you're a visual learner, YouTube is a great resource for all those different types of content. Uh, if you're into Databricks, we have a channel out there with a lot of content, uh, anything that you pretty much wanna learn. Coursera is an excellent resource. Sure. Um, Tons of tons of new courses out there, right? Uh, and there's more and more coming each day. Um, and even like training, what I would say is a lot of these vendors, us included, a lot of the other common vendors who are, have platforms like this, excuse me, they uh, they have their own training, right? So see if they offer training um, or anything like that, and just be curious. Go out there, ask questions, engage with the community either on LinkedIn or Twitter. You know, people. It's it's a different world today. And people, I think, want they don't mind they they want to help others. And if you ask questions and engage with the community, community, they'll tell you where to go to find out what you need. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I found that you know to be the case <laughs> in lots of uh, lots of different areas, and uh, it's definitely definitely beneficial. Um, what would you say, like, so you know, if you're talking about like that, you know, data folks and and things like that, like, 
what would be a, a message to more senior leadership? You know, if somebody is listening here and they're a leader in the business or, or in the, in the data area or just application area in their companies, like what would be a message and or a takeaway for them, you know, based on this conversation that you would potentially give, you know, to help them think about ways to, you know, to kind of move ahead in, in this whole space. So when you're a senior leader, you're essentially business outcomes become a big part of what you're trying to manage, right? Successful business outcomes are ones that we can predict with accuracy. With the data that you have locked away, we can build behavioral and prediction, prediction models that can be used to fuel revenue, cost savings, or risk reduction. And, and that's key to what to your to your goal, right? You are trying to determine, you're trying to determine a business outcome and you want to be successful, right? So that's how we can, th these new paradigms of data management can help you as a senior leader. Yeah, yeah, totally makes sense. And, you know, different, different, uh, you know, uh, lens or glasses when you're at that level. Um, and and that, that totally makes sense. Cost savings, risk reduction, as you said, uh, and, and that sort of thing. So Franco, like, where can people go, you know, to, you know, this is your, your, your chance to plug yourself or plug a data bricks. Um, you know, where can, you know, where can they find out more information? How can they get in contact with you? If somebody's got questions? Yeah. Thanks. Uh, you know, you can go to databricks.com to find out more about databricks itself. If you want to reach out to me, uh, you can reach out to me at, uh, Franco at databricks.com. Uh, that's my email address. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter if, you know, you're into some humorous stuff or you want to kind of follow the stuff that I'm putting out. Uh, but yeah, if you have any questions about the specific things that we talked about here or if you're interested in kind of following up or going further, feel free to reach out. Awesome. And, you know, Franco, thank you again. You know, I know I've, uh, you know, tied up a little bit of your, of your time today and I do appreciate you coming on. And, uh, you know, thanks again. Thank you, Andrew. It was a pleasure. Thanks again for joining us this week on the Startup or Startover podcast. Be sure to check out our website at startuporstartover.com. And we'll see you next time.